Welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast. I'm Eric Goldwine, and I'm excited to share this upcoming episode featuring Will Smith, an Atlanta-based attorney and podcaster extraordinaire. Will and his law partner, Rob Shank, specialize in nursing home neglect and abuse law and are co-hosts of the Must Listen Nursing Home Abuse podcast. On the show, we chat about nursing home law and discuss what a typical case looks like. Then we talk about the implications of immunity laws that are shielding nursing homes and protecting them from coronavirus-related litigation. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Will. Appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Will co-hosts a podcast, uh, the Nursing Home Abuse Podcast, uh, with with uh, Rob Shank, and uh, they've had my colleague, our LTCCC's executive director, Richard Mollett, on several times. Uh, so we thought we'd return the favor and hear hear from Will in our podcast. So we're going to go over uh, some nursing home law 101. Then we're going to talk about uh, COVID-19 and uh, litigation immunity. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Will's background, how he got into nursing home law, and also about their their podcast. So can you talk about what a typical case looks like? Who are the parties involved and what are they disputing in nursing home law cases? Sure. So when we sue a nursing home, it is a personal injury action. So it's a tort case, much like a, a a vehicular accident case or a slip and fall or a medical malpractice case. Um, and it, and in, it's in fact very close to medical malpractice because what we have to do is we, we have to hire an expert in the very beginning who can testify that negligence occurred. So basically what, what ends up happening in our cases, because the vast majority of them are wrongful death, Family members of the uh, the nursing home resident who died in the nursing home will come to us and say, you know, mother went to the nursing home. She was supposed to be there for a short period of time or, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen. She started going downhill. We found out that she had, you know, stage four bed sores and now we want to do something. So we spend a lot of time in the very beginning because one, Medical records are really hard to come by um, because they're just not – it's a combination of they don't want to give them and they just aren't very well equipped to to pass those on in the formats that we want. Um, so that takes a while. And the defendant in these cases is always a, is a corporation. So it's some corporation that owns this nursing home. And figuring out – what shell companies out are out there is always a big deal as well. Because these cases aren't just medical malpractice. They're also corporate misconduct. So they get pretty complicated on the front end, and, and uh, they can take a while to get to actual litigation. Right. And see, so it, it's not like uh, how you'll see on a – on Law and Order or, or in a, on a TV show or in a movie, these things are tend to be a drawn out process, right? Are we talking months? Are we talking years? What's the timeline like? 
Oh, from start to finish, if somebody walked into my office today and said, hey, my mother died in a nursing home, she had bed sores, we'd like to sue them, uh, we're looking at two to three years or, or sometimes even longer. And I have to tell people that all the time, we're not the only resource that people have to hold these places accountable. You can go to your ombudsman, you can make complaints to the state, because we certainly aren't the quickest one. We are somebody that you come to after the bad act has happened and you, you want to, uh, you want to sue them, but it's going to take a long time. So yeah, it's not like law and order. Mm-hmm. I, I love those shows, but in those shows, you know, you see somebody get sued and then a couple of weeks later, they're standing in front of a jury. I wish it was that way, man. Right. Well, there is a commercial break. Between the two. Between yeah, the there, two. there's a commercial break, but it isn't one that, that lasts two or three years. <laughs> right. So, so these, these, uh, seeds will have varying results. Um, can, yeah, can you tell us what the, the outcomes are, what the types of outcomes would be in, say, a, um, abuse case, a case surrounding falls, a case surrounding pressure ulcers? Can you talk about the, the different outcomes that might happen? Sure. And that's a really good question because all of our clients, almost without fail, I have the same conversation with every single one of them. And they tell me they they don't care about money and they just want to hold the corporation accountable. And, and, and that's a, a sentiment that I can get behind and I understand. But the only remedy that we can get them is is a monetary award. We can't, we can't get the judge to say, Hey, you guys got to hire more staff. We can't get a jury to say, um, Hey, from now on, you got to start having different protocols. And we certainly can't bring this person back to life. So the only, the only outcome that we can get, and it's the same outcome, uh, regardless of what the injury is, the amounts differ, you know, but the same, it's the same outcome, which is, um, some sort of monetary award that the corporation's insurance policy has to pay out. And what, and what our desire is, um, is that when they have to do that so many times, somebody in corporate management is going to go, Hey guys, I know that you're saving money by not having enough staff or cutting corners, but it's not worth it because we keep getting sued because our residents are dying. So maybe we don't put um, profit over people anymore. Mm-hmm. And in the cases where the uh, facility might be uh, absolved by the court, what what are a what are the common um, what are the commonalities in those cases where the facilities are absolved, and what happens to uh, the the of course this varies. Uh, from place to place, but what typically happens to those families? That so, are, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I get your question. I do. And it's, uh, it, I wouldn't phrase it as absolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what it is, is anytime that you sue another party, that party has the opportunity to contest your allegations and try to get it thrown out at various stages. So they could, they could have the judge throw it out because of some procedural issue, because there's not uh, enough evidence to even take to a jury, 
or a jury could look at it and go, hey, guys, we listened to it. Uh, you know, we saw the evidence, but we just we, we don't see negligence here. And that happens because these cases are extremely complicated. Not like I said, not only are they uh, medical malpractice, they're corporate misconduct. But on the medical malpractice side, you you typically have individuals. And this is the reason that COVID-19 is is so uh, deadly to them. You have individuals who have numerous comorbidities. So if you've got somebody who is 90 years old that is diabetic, uh, that has, uh, you know, peripheral arterial disease, and they have a bed sore that doesn't go away, the nursing home is going to make an argument, and sometimes they can be successful. Listen, even if we had done everything we were supposed to, there's nothing that could have stopped this from happening. And, and that happens sometimes, and all, all I can tell the families in those cases is, look, you did everything that you could do. You know, rest easy knowing that they're in a better place. But sometimes, you know, there's only so much you can do. Right. Well, Phil, thanks for clarifying that. Um, we'll we'll uh, close the the nursing home 101 portion of this conversation. Everybody gets an A plus, and you get good uh, professor reviews. Um, moving on, to COVID nineteen. You, you just mentioned. It, I know you've mentioned, uh, I saw you tweeted the other day that your offices are getting calls every day reporting abuse. Uh, usually families are seeing their loved ones for the first time in a hospital or another facility. Uh, can you go into a little bit more detail about the kind of calls you are getting from, uh, from residents and residents' families? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just as a point of clarification, and it's just a semantic issue, our nurse, our, our podcast is called Nursing Home Abuse uh, Podcast.com. And the reason that we use the term abuse is because the vast majority of people out there, uh, they put ne- negligence and abuse together as a concept. Um, abuse, though, more technically is, is something that's more willful. Uh, it's an intention, intentional infliction. Uh, and the only reason I bring that up is just to avoid any confusion. We get a lot of calls about negligence. Mm-hmm. So negligence is the failure to meet some sort of standard of care. And currently right now, Georgia, and I, I think this is probably the same for New York and uh, most other states, is having a lot of issues with nursing homes failing to meet the standard of care for infection control. So we have a lot of, um, aside from the typical calls that we have where, you know, mom fell down and nobody did anything or, or mom had a bed sore or any of those things, what we're having now is, you know, uh, mom, mom got COVID-19, but when we went up there to visit, you know, standing outside of the windows, we saw people without masks on. We saw people that didn't have gloves on. We saw people um, that weren't washing their hands. And that's that's the big issue. So people are are these residents are contracting the coronavirus and developing COVID-19, which is the disease. And the biggest issue is why are they contracting that? Is is it because um, standards were not put in place or standards are not met? Or is it just, you know, is there nothing that can be done? So it's hard to tell right now. Because we're still doing investigations, but it definitely looks like one of the problems 
is nursing homes failing to abide by um, CDC and CMS guidelines for infection control? And just uh, cleared up semantically, is that considered a form of neglect? Yeah, absolutely. So anytime what neglect is, what negligence is, is there is a standard of care that you should do. So it could be uh, you, if somebody who, who's bedridden needs to be turned every two hours. Let's say that for a week straight, you never turn them. You failed to meet the standard of care. So the next thing would be, did it cause number three damages? So it's one, failure to meet the standard of care, two, caused three damages. So just to, just to clarify, to go back to school a little bit, if, mm-hmm. if they fail to meet the standard of care, but it doesn't cause any damages, it, it's kind of a, you know, no harm, no foul. They could probably get cited by uh, CMS, but it, it doesn't really make for a malpractice case. But yeah, absolutely. Failure to meet the standard of care in infection control is a form of negligence that has serious uh, damages and consequences. Right. And from what I've been reading and seeing, uh, well, I'll go with the AARP report here. They've tallied at least 19 states that have enacted laws or issued executive orders that either explicitly grant nursing homes and their workers legal immunity during the pandemic or that appear to do so. Uh, what, what is the, what are the implications of that moving forward? Uh, in those nine, they said at least 19 states, I'd imagine it is a growing number. Yeah, it is. And, and it's, so where this comes from is the idea of individuals who are responding to emergency uh, circumstances should not be held to the same standard as somebody uh, who's not in an emergency circumstance. So, for example, if you're if you're responding to uh, the fallout of a hurricane um, and you're trying to save somebody or help somebody, the last thing that you need to be worried about is, oh, I didn't do, you know, A, B, and C. I did X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry, I tried to do everything they can't, I can't, I could, but this person passed away. Because you're, otherwise, why would you even put yourself in that situation as an emergency worker? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna face the threat of a lawsuit when I'm here battling against the odds and against this, this emergency if, if people are out gunning to sue me. So it's understandable where the origin of the law comes from. The problem is, the way that they extend it to nursing homes and hospitals right now. So in, in Georgia, uh, I, I guess what Kemp's reasoning was, and, and Governor Brian Kemp is our, our governor, mm-hmm. what, what Brian Kemp's reasoning was is, look, we're facing a pandemic that we've never faced before. Hospitals are overwhelmed. We're lacking PPE. We're lacking adequate staff. We, um, we're we're in a state of emergency uh, as a as a state of Georgia. It's been declared a state of emergency. So all healthcare workers and all facilities are going to be treated like emergency workers, so that they're not held to the same standard, which is just negligence. They can only be sued if it's gross negligence, and gross negligence is is a is a much higher threshold. 
than just failing to meet the standard of care. Gross negligence is you, you botched the surgery because you came in and you were drunk, right? Like it's you, you really are begging to get sued if you committed gross negligence. Uh, so I understand where Kemp is coming from in trying to help those that are that are currently dealing with this crisis in the healthcare setting. The problem is it's not well defined. So it seems like, you know, if if you're a nursing home and you've got that patient that needs to be turned every two hours and you just don't do it, it doesn't really it doesn't really fit that you shouldn't be held to the the standard of simple negligence. Because it doesn't have anything to do with the state of emergency. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, so in and, other words, yeah. I, I could totally understand if if a facility didn't have all of the PPE, you know, masks and gloves and, and gowns that they needed, and, and the governor saying, hey, you can't sue them because they didn't meet the standard for having PPE, because no one has it, because we're in an emergency. But but it's not well defined like that. And what would be your uh, say you were a, a voted governor uh, tomorrow? What would be your suggestion uh, or how would you change it? Uh, yeah, well, you got to remember, I'm a plaintiff's attorney, so I don't, <laughs> have, I don't have a strong inclination to give them any immunity. But I suppose if I'm being fair. Um, I suppose I would more agree with something that focused on um, things that were related to the state of emergency. So, in other words, the mere fact that somebody uh, that you have the coronavirus in your facility or the fact that you don't have adequate PPE, um, those things I, I, I would take into consideration. So. Those relate directly to the emergency that we're facing. But I, I would leave on there everything um, that was already in place. Like, you know, you don't have enough staff. Well, you've never had enough staff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that's as fair as I could be. I, I'm probably <laughs> not the most partial. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're going to move on talk about your journey into nursing home law. So I was reading your bio and I've been listening to some of your past episodes. Uh, there are two interesting parts of your background uh, among many, but one, you were a, do I have this right? You were a CNA um, in, in Georgia for several years. Oh yeah. For about eight years. Yeah. And does, is that uh how, how did you um, get into that? And is that what, this is kind of a leading question here, but is that what um, what uh, sparked your interest in nursing home law? Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so I, I actually got out of the military. I was in the Marine Corps in 2000, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really have any job skills for the civilian world. And my dad at the time uh, was a nurse in a nursing home. And he was like, well, you know, you could go take this two week course and, and, you know, make, make some money and, and, and while you go to college. So I did that and I ended up doing it for, you know, the next eight years because it was just a really, for me, it was a very flexible schedule because they always need help. 
And I had a, a couple of nursing homes that I worked with where I could just go in the summertime and go, hey, guys, I, you know, I'm not taking classes. I'm free. You know, let me work as much as possible. So I would work just ungodly hours in the summertime at these places. And I, I, I got to see firsthand there, there are good nursing homes out there without, without question. Um, and I always have to tell people that because I, I feel like everything that comes from me is gloom and doom. And if you listen to me talk and you've got a loved one in a nursing home, you probably think that, that they're being, you know, tortured right now. But the reality is some of these places are, are, are pretty decent. And a lot of the people who work there are truly kind and considerate individuals. Uh, it's one of the hardest jobs that you can do. It, my heart goes out to everybody that, that's currently, you know, that's in there and working with it. Uh, especially in this state of emergency, it's like they're running into a, uh, you know, a building on fire every day. But, uh, you know, I got really, I guess I'm just a naturally indignant person, which is why I'm a lawyer and which is why I'm a plaintiff's lawyer. So I just hated some of these companies and these corporations for putting us through, you know, not having enough staff, um, not paying enough. Um, and, yeah, so I got when I got out of law school, it was my I, I first did criminal law because I um, because it you know it's it's just easier to do that when you get right out of law school. But it was always our intention of of finding a way for me to sue my former bosses one day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was I was going to say uh, having having spent. Tens, a hundred, hundred, how many, I can't even do the, get the multiplier of ten, uh, tens of thousands of hours, uh, in these facilities. You probably have a good BS detector when you're, um, getting into these cases, uh, as an attorney. Uh, is there any example that comes to mind where, um, you've picked up on something in a case, uh, where your experience as a CNA allowed you to pick up on something in a nursing home law case? Yeah, sure. All the time. Uh, and, and what it mainly comes down to is just that I know what CNAs actually do. So when, when they tell me like, Hey, listen, the, you know, we turn this person every two hours and it's, you can see in, in the log book that it's um, that they, they've checked off that they turned them. I know for a fact that you probably just went through and you charted by exception. So you just went through everything and just checked everything off. And so a, a, a deeper look at the records reveals that there's something fishy there. You guys had a, uh, a, a, a pin party where you all got together and you went through and you were like, okay, let's check everything off. And it just doesn't make sense. And I know that if I start asking the CNAs questions, that I'm going to get one of them to admit, yeah, sometimes we go back a couple of weeks later and just fill stuff back in. Um, we don't do it right then. And so I, I you know, I, I can build up a case to, to say to a judge or a jury that even though it's in the records that they turn this person, it doesn't mean anything because it's a lie because they, I know how this, I've seen the sausage made. I know what goes on inside. All right. So we're going to close this with our uh, guest recommendation segment, although I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little curveball and I'm going to add my own 
recommendation. Uh, so usually, usually we ask uh, the guest to recommend a nursing home related report and a non-nursing home related report. Um, I'm going to recommend the nursing home abuse podcast. Uh, just a, it's a great resource. Uh, I started listening to it a year and a, a year or so ago when I started working with LTCCC and uh, for me, who's working in policy and advocacy, it was a tremendous uh, crash course in the range of topics uh, that uh, that we work with. And I found it a really helpful resource. And uh, you and Rob do a tremendous job putting it together. How long is that podcast? Uh, how long have you been recording episodes for? Oh, man. Uh, we've been doing it. And, and Rob is going to kill me if I don't remember the exact number. <laughs> but I want to say it's been like at least four years. Mm-hmm. Um, we have done hundreds of episodes. So, yeah, it's it's been going on for a while now. Uh, yeah, I re- recommend uh, checking that out. And that's the Nursing Home Abuse Podcast. You can get it on uh, – I have it on my Apple Podcasts. I'm sure it's on wow. other – you can go to your website. Yeah, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere where there's um, podcasts where you, you listen to podcasts or download MP3s, if people still do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're we're all over the place. All right, great. So now, uh, so now it's your turn. Sure. So I, I actually have two, and I promise you, I'm not just doing this because you guys you just gave us a shout out, <laughs> but it's actually the the LT Triple C, the Nursing Home Four One One website, and, and the reason I say that is because the the two places that we routinely send people are the Consumer Voice website, which is the National Coalition of Long-Term Care Ombudsmen, which is also where and how we uh, we met Richard. But also Richard's website, uh, Nursing Home 411, is probably the most informational website out there about long-term care issues. We use it for our own podcast all the time. So it's, it would be unfair not to, to mention that. But aside from that, um, when you, when you asked me originally to name a, uh, a nursing, a movie kind of related to a nursing home, you know, the first thing that came to mind to me was this weird movie that I saw a, a couple of years ago called Bubba Hotep. And it's, I don't, I don't know how how old you are, man. I don't know if you remember yeah. the movie uh, Phantasm from the 80s, but it's the I, same. I don't. So it was a Bubba Hotel? Bubba Hotep. I think it's H-O-T-E-P. Okay. It is a, it is set in a, in a assisted living facility, and the premise is Elvis is still alive, but he's in a nursing home. And all the scenes take place in this nursing home, and it's it, it's pretty interesting. Um, so as somebody that deals with nursing homes and, and long-term care, I always liked the movie. It certainly isn't necessarily realistic, but it's nursing home related. Yeah. Does Elvis uh, do any performing or fictional oh, yeah, Elvis? Yeah, the fictional Elvis does. Um, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but he, he goes on some misadventures in the nursing home as well. Yeah. Oh, man, you got to check it out. It's, a, it's an interesting, strange movie. All right. And a, uh, a non-nursing home. Any, any, uh, non-nursing home related items? 
Oh man, I I find myself putting Netflix on most nights when I when I'm off of work and just laying on the couch and not actually watching anything <laughs> and not paying attention. But I love um I love the show Veep, Veep right. EP on HBO because uh, I really feel like at the end of the day, if nobody's seen it, it's Julia Louise Dreyfus and she's she plays at first the vice president, the Veep, and then the president. But I feel like that's probably what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> well, thanks for the recommendations, and I appreciate you uh, coming on our podcast and uh, sharing your knowledge. Um, it's good to have you on and hear you as a a caller rather than just as a podcast host. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Uh, really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. And uh, tell Richard we said hello. Thanks for listening to the Nursing Home 411 podcast, and thanks to Will for coming on the show. You can visit the website shanksmith.com, that's S-C-H-E-N-K-S-M-I-T-H.com, to get in touch with Will and to check out their podcast. And of course, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can find us on nursinghome411.org. Our music is by Silverman Sound Studios. Till next time.